The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Okay, we are going to read Psalm number 42 today. It's the beginning of book two of the Psalter. Psalm 42, to the chief musician, a contemplation of the sons of Korah. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, Where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God, with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, from the hill Mitzar. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Our sermon text today is Deuteronomy 18. It's verses 15 through 22. We're going to finish up chapter 18 today. Verse 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear. According to all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, What they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. The words of the previous verses of Deuteronomy 18 dealt first with the priests, the Levites, who minister in the name of the Lord, and the responsibility of tending to those who would officiate in this capacity at the place of the Lord where he chose for his name to dwell. After that came the warning against allowing any who would employ means of seeking out spiritual revelation in any other way than that authorized by the Lord. That was last week's soothsayers and all that type of stuff that we talked about. There were to be none who made their children pass through the fire, none who practiced witchcraft, no soothsayers, and so on. From this point, Moses next turns to the office of the prophet. It is this office which will actually build upon the word of God. Although priests or Levites might be prophets, they might not be as well. The priest or Levite, who was not a prophet, was to get his evaluation of the word of the Lord solely from the recorded word of the Lord or those who were known to be true prophets. However, the prophet, if a true prophet, whether from Levi or from another tribe, would continue to speak forth the word of the Lord. From there, the record of his words was, at times, to be added to Israel's canon of scripture and evaluated as such. In other words, what they spoke forth was to carry the same weight and authority as the law of Moses, 
because their words are derived from the same source, the true and living God. Our text verse comes from Isaiah chapter 8. And when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Isaiah looked back to the words of Moses and referred to them. Instead of going to what the law had forbidden, they were to seek God as he had authorized to the law and to the testimony. God had given them the words of life, as is recorded in Leviticus 18, verse 5. And in rejecting them, they would find only darkness. Among these words of life is the idea of the Lord raising up for the people a prophet like Moses. That verse will open our passage today. Of that idea, the scholar Kyle states the following. Is he right or is he wrong in his analysis? Listen and decide. And I've underlined the important verses, but I'm going to read the whole commentary. He says, A prophet out of the midst of thee, out of thy brethren as I am, will Jehovah thy God raise up to thee, to him shall ye hearken. When Moses thus attaches to the prohibition against hearkening to soothsayers and practicing soothsayers, the promise that Jehovah would raise up a prophet, etc., and contrasts what the Lord would do for his people with what he did not allow, it is perfectly evident from this simple connection alone, apart from the further context of the passage in which Moses treats of the temporal and spiritual rulers of Israel, which is found in verses 17 and 18, Here it is, that the promise, meaning the promise of a prophet like Moses, that the promise neither relates to one particular prophet nor directly and exclusively to the Messiah, but treats of the sending of prophets generally. And this is also confirmed by what follows with reference to the true and false prophets. Again, listen, which presupposes the rise of a plurality of prophets and shows most incontrovertibly that it is not one prophet only, nor the Messiah exclusively, who is promised here. It by no means follows from the use of the singular, a prophet, that Moses is speaking of one particular prophet only. But the idea expressed is this, that at any time when the people stood in need of a mediator, with God like Moses, God would invariably send a prophet. Is this correct? When Moses refers to a prophet like me, is he merely referring to the line of prophets who would come under the Mosaic Covenant to speak forth the word of the Lord? Or is he referring first to a single prophet who will come in a special class and category and then only later is he speaking in a secondary sense of Mosaic Covenant prophets in general? Can we know? If so, how? It can be done, and this is the way we should determine all such things, by taking in the whole counsel of God, meaning the entire canon of Scripture. Kyle is wrong, as we will see in our evaluation of Moses' words. But more, it is wholly unreasonable to assume, as Kyle does, that God would invariably send a prophet when they stood in need of a mediator with God like Moses. In fact, that would be considered the exception and not the rule. This was the purpose of Moses, to lay out the law for the people to live by. God was under absolutely no obligation at all to send them even one single prophet. They had the law. They had the Levitical priesthood to mediate the law, and anything beyond that should be considered as a completely unexpected mark of grace. The fact that a prophet like Moses is prophesied demonstrates an unusual occurrence, not something to be expected in times of need. Rather, it is the false prophet that should, unfortunately, be the expected and inevitable outcome of having a theocracy formed under the true God. The Lord did send prophets among his people, and they carried on in the steps of Moses. But they were not prophets like Moses. This will be seen as we review the passage today. Great things, such as a prophet like Moses, are revealed in God's superior word. And so let us turn to that precious word once again. And may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. I've got three thoughts for you today. The first is, him you shall hear. It's verses 15 and 16. 
Verse 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Before I analyze this, you can see that the New King James Version assumes it's speaking of the Messiah because they capitalized prophet and they also capitalize he in the next clauses or verse. Okay, so they have made the assumption, a presupposition that it is speaking about that. Whether they could defend that or not, I don't know, but that's what they have decided. There is an emphatic structure to the words that is entirely missed in this and in many other translations. It reads, Navi mikerbecha meachecha kamoni. Prophet from your midst, from your brothers, like me. The stress is placed on each thought concerning this prophet. Like Kyle, who is cited in the introduction, other scholars claim this is referring to a collective group not an individual. Cambridge says, a prophet, not individual, but collective. For example, a succession of prophets. For the whole spirit of the passage is that God shall never fail to speak directly to his people. It is placed at the head of the sentence in forcible contrast to the diviners and necromancers just described. They say the singular Navi or prophet refers to a collective whole that would henceforth come to speak to the people on behalf of the Lord. But this is incorrect for several reasons. Though it is true that Moses is a prophet, it is untrue that those who followed him would be like him. They would simply be prophets continuing on what he had established, meaning the law of Moses. No other prophet was like Moses in that his words formed the basis of the law. He was the one who initiated the covenant, as it says. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words which the Lord has said, we will do. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. And he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. But from those words, a second aspect of what made Moses unique is that not only did he initiate the covenant, but he also performed the priestly role in its initiation, serving at the altar and ministering the blood. Though he was not to continue in the role of the priest, he did serve in this function initially. And further, not only did he serve in these ways, but he also served as the legislator of the covenant. That is seen, for example, in his service recorded in Exodus 18, where it says, and so it was on the next day that Moses sat to judge the people and the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. So when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, he said, what is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit and all the people stand before you from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a difficulty, they come to me and I judge between one and another. I make known the statutes of God and his laws. What has he done so far? He's acted as a prophet. He's acted as a priest and he's acted as a king, a judge. The king will judge. You're right. It's king who judges at the time of, for example, David. Okay, or the judges during the time of Israel. He's fulfilled all three of those roles. No other prophet would be like Moses in all of these ways. Indeed, in various ways, Moses has already referred to prophets, such as in Numbers 12, verse 6, and Deuteronomy 13. Here, he is not merely adding to that thought, but he is now defining a particular prophet. As I said in the introduction, we can know this is absolutely certain because this is how the verse is taken by both the leaders of Israel and also by the apostles who spoke under inspiration of the Lord in the New Testament. In John chapter 1, the leaders of Israel, called the Jews there, sent designated representatives to John the Baptist to find out who he was. They specifically asked about this verse right here that Moses is now dealing with. Here it is, John 1. Now this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? 
He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Whether the Jews fully understood what it was meant by a prophet like me or not, they understood that one prophet was coming who would be different than all the others. This was a set and known principle that defined the one prophet to come like Moses. This was fully understood by Philip. It is implied that he, along with Andrew, was with John the Baptist at that time. He said, certainly in reference to this passage concerning the prophet in John 1.45, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. The words Moses in the law may be vague, but they certainly point back to the question put forth two days earlier by the Jews to John. And that was in direct reference to Moses' words of the prophet to come. Later, after the coming of Christ, the Jews tried to obscure this obvious fact among their people. Ibn Ezra, who lived from 1089 to 1164, claimed that this prophet was Joshua. Baal Haturim, also known as Jacob ben Asher, who lived from 1269 to 1343, claimed it was Jeremiah. Others said it was David. Rashi, like Kyle, and others said it refers to a succession of prophets. But these all ignore the testimony of the Jews recorded at Jesus' time, and by that of the apostles who followed in their writings. In fact, all of the prophets continually spoke explicitly of one who was coming in a completely different capacity than any of them, with Jeremiah going so far as to explicitly state that a new covenant would be introduced by the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in that day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. Therefore, it could not be Jeremiah, as Baal Haturim knew very well. From the time of Moses, right until the time of the coming of Christ, it was always assumed by the Jewish people that this prophet to come would be a single person. The fact that he was still anticipated at the time of Jesus proves that it was none of the previous prophets of Israel. This will continue to be seen in the next four verses. It is true that a succession of prophets was coming, but only in looking back on Moses' words now could someone come to the conclusion that this is what he was referring to. Rather, it is evident from his words as looking forward and of the words of the leader of Israel at the time of John the Baptist as looking forward from that same perspective that a single prophet is to be understood. With this in mind, there could be no excuse for the rejection of this prophet when he came. Of this coming prophet, verse 15 continues, him you shall hear. There is an added stress in the word translated as you shall hear, indicated by the structure, saying, Elav tishma'un, him you shall certainly hear. As I said, there will be no excuse for the rejecting of this prophet. Looking back now, and in knowing what we know concerning these words as being fulfilled in Christ Jesus, it shows us the deserved punishment of Israel who rejected him. To fail to hear, meaning hearken unto the words of this prophet, is to reject Moses who spoke of this prophet. And to reject Moses is to reject the word of the Lord transmitted through Moses, which established the covenant in the first place. In other words, no person of Israel to whom the law of Moses was given can say that they are being obedient to Moses if they reject this prophet that he now refers to. Does everybody see that? you got Jews all over the world today that say, I'm following the law of Moses. They cannot be following the law of Moses because Moses spoke of Jesus. He is the fulfillment of this, and therefore they have rejected the law of Moses. To reject Jesus is to reject Moses. Jesus said this explicitly to them. John 5, do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me for he wrote about me. 
But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? In rejecting Moses, the people thus rejected the Lord who commissioned Moses. The logical progression of thought is that only condemnation results from a rejection of Jesus. To ensure this is understood, Moses next brings in the giving of the law itself as a basis for this. Verse 16, according to all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly. Moses reminds the people of what occurred after hearing the speaking out of the Ten Commandments at Horeb, which is Mount Sinai. They saw the terrifying display, they heard the sounds, and they were terrified. In this, the people came as one to Moses. Verse 16 going on, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire any more, lest I die. Moses now cites in the singular, I and me and etc. He cites in the singular what the people together said to him. You speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. This is what the people desired. And so Moses became the one to receive the word of the Lord and then communicate it to the people. This then forms a second way that the prophet would be like Moses. Not only was Moses the one to establish the covenant, but he was the mediator of it as well. Here's what it says in Numbers 12. Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly, and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? All the other prophets would receive the word of the Lord in an obscure and deliberately dark way. But Moses received the word with intimacy not otherwise seen. Only at the coming of the prophet now referred to by Moses would this again occur. Does everybody know the story of Samuel? So obscure is the word of the Lord that when Samuel was a little boy, he was called Samuel. And he went to Eli and he said, you called me. He said, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. The little boy comes back to bed and he hears again Samuel and he came and he said you called me he said no I didn't go back to bed and the third time the Lord called to Samuel Samuel and he goes to Eli and he says certainly you called me and then Eli realizes the Lord is speaking to Samuel that's how obscure the word of the Lord was to all of the prophets until they knew the word of the Lord they didn't even know it was the word of the Lord sounds like this doesn't it right Jeremiah prophesied of this coming one. He said, And it shall be their majestic one from among them, and their governor from their midst shall come, and I will cause him to draw near, and he shall approach me. For who is he, this who pledged his heart to approach me, says Jehovah. That's my translation. I wouldn't go by it just in case. That's just, I sat down and I translated that myself. So I want you to know that's not from a standard translation. In fact, the author of Hebrews uses the words of Numbers 12 and builds upon them to show that Christ Jesus is the fulfillment of what is spoken of now. Let me not hear the voice of the Lord, lest I die when he speaks his words to me. There is terror in every uttered word. I will perish if I hear more. I know this with certainty. But if he speaks his word through you, as I have heard, isn't it the same word as if he spoke it to me? Surely there is terror in every uttered word. This is a law of death. I know this with certainty. Who will speak forth a new word from the Lord, one that will not surely condemn any who hear, who will bring grace and not a sword, who will take away the death and remove all fear? Our second thought today, I will require it of him. It's verses 17 through 19. Verse 17, and the Lord said to me, what they have spoken is good. These words are a general repeat of Deuteronomy 5:28. Then the Lord heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me, and the Lord said to me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. With that, Moses now continues with words already known to him but not yet introduced into the narrative. The word is being slowly and progressively revealed to us so that we can more fully appreciate the plan as it has been developed by the Lord. Verse 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren. Navi akim lahem mikerev achichem kamocha. 
prophet I will raise up to them from midst their brothers like you. If the Lord had meant any given prophet at any given time, he would have said, I will raise up for them prophets, plural. This is especially so because there were times where more than one prophet of the Lord spoke forth his word. Further, there would be no reason at all to say a prophet like you. As seen earlier, the Lord is referenced to the prophet already in Numbers 12, verse 6, acknowledging the office. Therefore, a distinction is made between the prophetic office of Moses and that of other prophets. It is this precept that Peter also used when addressing the people of Israel, showing that this was a universally known precept among them to demonstrate that Moses is now referring to a single prophet who would come in the same capacity as him, meaning Christ. For Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. And more. This is then repeated by Stephen in Acts 7.37, where Stephen directly quotes Deuteronomy 18.15 to the high priest and to the leaders of Israel. But more, more than this is what was stated in John 6 when Jesus fed the 5,000 with five barley loaves and two small fish. There it says, Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. In other words, the people clearly associated this prophet to come with more than just verbal prophesying. They anticipated that he would do those things that Moses did, such as giving them manna. The people certainly understood this, and another crowd on the next day came to him. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then, that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Knowing these things, it would be otherwise incomprehensible for the Lord to use the singular here. Therefore, the following words say, verse 18 continues, and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Although this statement is true of other prophets, it is also just what Christ said of himself. In fact, but without saying it directly, Jesus is clearly referring to this verse in Deuteronomy saying in John 12, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the father who sent me gave me a command what I should say and what I should speak. He again repeats the same basic thought in John 14.10 and John 14.24. The case is being built in advance by the Lord through Moses so that when the one spoken of now was to come, there would be eternity-changing consequences for not listening to him. Verse 19, And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. The Hebrew is personal, saying, Ha-ish, the man who will not hear my words, which he speaks. Whatever individual will not listen to the prophet will face the judgment of the Lord because of it. There is to be no exception. It should be a sobering lesson for the false teachers in the Roman Catholic Church, John Hagee, and others who teach the doctrine of dual covenant theology. Any person, including and especially the Jew, who rejects the words of Jesus will be cast into hell. The author of Hebrews, referring to his own brethren, Jewish people, says, See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. The words, him who warned them on earth, refer to Moses. As Moses spoke of the coming Christ in his own warning, then there is a double terror for those Jews who have rejected him. 
There is the terror of having ignored Moses, and there is the terror of having ignored the words of the Son of God, the coming prophet, spoken of by Moses. All this is true collectively as well. As a nation, this was understood all along. In the 1600s, Matthew Poole said the following, the sad effect of this threatening the Jews have felt for above 1600 years together. 200 years later, Jameson Fawcett Brown continued to acknowledge this, saying, the direful consequences of unbelief in Christ and disregard of his mission, the Jewish people have been experiencing during 1800 years. Here we are, now almost 2,000 years later, and the same thought continues today. Though returned to the land in preparation for the end times, the nation of Israel will suffer two-thirds extermination for failing to hearken to the word of the Lord spoken by Christ Jesus. With the thought of the prophet to come, stated, the Lord through Moses now speaks of the false prophet. This is truly the prophet of whom Moses foretold. He is the prophet to come into the world. His words are purer than the finest gold. Through them, the mysteries are unfurled. This is he of whom Moses spoke. It is he who has lifted the burden from us. No more is the Paul dark like smoke since the coming of this man, Jesus. A prophet is he like none other, one who is even greater than Moses, so we see. This one rose among us, he is our brother, and yet he is higher than Moses, even infinitely. Our third thought today, you shall not be afraid of him. It's verses 20 through 22. Verse 20, but the prophet who presumes to speak a a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. Of the words here, Cambridge says, these special cases prove that throughout this passage, no single prophet, but a succession of prophets is meant. Like normal with Cambridge, this is incorrect. Unlike the previous verses where no definite article was used in the Hebrew before the word prophet, the Lord includes an article before the word in all four instances between now and the end of the chapter. In essence, the prophet, whoever he may be, is whom I am referring to now. Such a person is being set in contrast to the prophet like Moses, not the prophet in general. This is certainly being presented in this manner because not everything a prophet spoke was in the name of the Lord. And some who prophesied at one time, such as Saul, would be out of favor with the Lord at another time. Hence, the false prophet now being mentioned is set in contrast to the prophet like Moses because the prophet like Moses is the Lord. Thus, everything Christ said was of the Lord. The Lord is, for this reason, now only dealing with the prophet who spoke presumptuously or who spoke in the name of other gods. Though this is a part of the law of Moses, the words must be considered from this standpoint even for those today. In other words, regardless as to whether this is a precept of the law or not, it must still apply today. It is obvious that those who speak in the name of other gods are acting in defiance of the Lord. But because the contrast is to the prophet like Moses, meaning the Lord, anyone who speaks presumptuously in the name of the Lord today must bear the same guilt. The word is zud. It means to boil or seethe, and thus to act rebelliously or presumptuously. It is an onomatopoetic expression where the word represents the sound. Boil, 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 zud, 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 okay? In this case, it is the sound of boiling. Just as a pot boils, so a false prophet boils up with his false words. And how common this is in the church today where people flippantly prophesy from the pulpit and from the pew, speaking falsely in the name of the Lord and boiling over with arrogance as they do. The Lord will require it of them. As we are not under the law, there is no provision for us to take them out and stone them but we should be well-versed enough in the word to turn from them and ignore what they falsely claim. Hebrews 1 tells us that since the coming of Christ, there are no more prophets, meaning that the only prophets there are today are false prophets. And I'm talking about foretelling, which is speaking the word of the Lord as if you have received it from the Lord. There's a difference in foretelling. That's prophecy as well, but that is a preacher preaching the words of the Lord, foretelling forthtelling. There is no longer any foretelling. All right. Be warned. 
be wise and ignore all who claim such a word from the Lord. We have the Bible as the full and complete canon of scripture from God. What more do we need? As for the false prophet of Israel, verse 20 continues, that prophet shall die. The words are emphatic, umet hanavi hahu, and shall die the prophet, the he. This certainly means that the people should stone him as indicated in chapter 13. But there is an instance in the Bible where the Lord would speak to a false prophet by a true prophet concerning his impending doom from Jeremiah 28. Then the prophet Jeremiah said to Hananiah the prophet, Hear now, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, but you make this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I will cast you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die because you have taught rebellion against the Lord. So Hananiah the prophet died the same year in the seventh month. Verse 21, and if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? The words now go from those of the Lord directly to those of Moses. It is an obvious statement to make, and it is one which is necessary to determine if the Lord's word is truly in the prophet or not. But the question is not phrased by Moses in the positive, is it? How shall we know the word which the Lord has spoken? Rather, it is in the negative. How shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? In chapter 13, it noted that a false prophet may produce a sign or a wonder and then try to lead the people away from the Lord. Thus, signs and wonders were not to be the only proof that a person was a true prophet. Further, a person could speak in the name of the Lord, and what he says may be for a time in the future, be it near or distant. In whatever time frame is involved, the way to know if it is the word of the Lord, which he has spoken or which he has not spoken, verse 22, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. As noted, it has already been seen in chapter 13 that a false prophet may prophesy a sign or a wonder that does come to pass. Thus, that cannot be the sole criteria for determining if the words of the prophet are from the Lord. However, the opposite is stated here. If something does not come to pass that was prophesied in the name of the Lord, it is 100% sure that the thing was not given to him by the Lord. When the true prophet of the Lord speaks that something will happen, it will come to pass or a reason for it being withheld will be given. Everybody hear what I just said, the second part of that, or a reason for it being withheld will be given. I'll tell you why I said that with a stress in a second. As for future prophecy, the words of those considered true prophets still rely on the actions of the Lord for them to be fulfilled. In other words, it is already accepted that Isaiah, Daniel, Zechariah, and so on are true prophets. But some of their prophecies extend even beyond our time now, don't they? For Israel... And for us, even though some of their prophecies have not yet been fulfilled, they have been established as true prophets, and so it is assumed that we are assured that their words will come to pass. However, Israel denied that Jesus is the prophet like Moses, even though he met all of the requirements of the law in order to prove that he is, in fact, the Messiah. Despite this, he spoke out numerous future prophecies as well. And so I would suggest that this verse right here that we're looking at right now, as much as any other in Scripture, will be a determining factor for collective Israel to use in order to definitively establish that Jesus is the Messiah. When those future prophecies come to pass, just as the future prophecies of other prophets will eventually come to pass, Israel will no longer be able to deny the evident nature of who he is. For now, they will be held to account for rejecting him, but eventually this will no longer be the case. As a nation, they will no longer be able to use the negative tone of this verse to deny him. The Lord has spoken, and the prophecies will be fulfilled in their appropriate time. As for the prophet who speaks and his words do not come to pass, verse 22 finishes with, the prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. Moses uses the noun form of the verb zud that he just used. It reads, the prophet has spoken arrogance. You shall not be afraid of him. For the living, this obviously requires a short span of time for the prophecy to fail. 
In such a case, the other requirements of proving whether a prophet is true or not must be applied. In the end, any word that is spoken by a prophet must be in accord with the rest of Scripture and in accord with the nature of the Lord. This is because, at times, prophecies were made that did not come to pass. This is why I stressed what I said a minute ago. Jonah called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And yet that did not happen. Is he a false prophet? No. How about Isaiah? Isaiah said, you're going to die. Get your house in order. Hezekiah, Hezekiah turned his face to the wall, prayed to the Lord, wept before him. And before he got out of the courtyard, the Lord gave him a word. He went back in and said, I've added 15 years to your life. Was the first prophecy a false prophecy? No. The moral nature of the Lord towards repentant Nineveh overrode the prophecy of Jonah. The gracious nature of the Lord towards Hezekiah overrode the prophecy of Isaiah. Despite his supposedly failed utterance, which was actually a success in scripture, Jonah was and is considered a true prophet of the Lord. Therefore, all prophecy must be in accord with scripture in accord with the character of the Lord and ultimately bring glory to him. As far as the prophet like Moses, meaning Christ Jesus, he meets all of the qualifications in all ways. He is a prophet who speaks forth the word of the Lord. He is a prophet in intimate communion with the Lord. He is like Moses, faithful in all of his house. In his humanity, he is the initiator of the new covenant. In this new covenant, he fulfills the priestly, meaning the sacrificial role, just as Moses temporarily did. He is, like Moses was, the mediator of the covenant. He is the legislator of the covenant, speaking forth the stipulations of it in the name of the Lord. He is the leader of his people, just as Moses led those under him. And he, like Moses, on behalf of the Lord, performed signs and wonders to validate his position. But more than Moses... He is the one to bring the law of Moses to an end. And then it is he who bestowed upon his people the grace of God. As John says in John 1, And of his fullness, speaking of Christ Jesus, we have all received and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Not only is Jesus Christ a prophet like Moses, but he also infinitely exceeds Moses in all ways. He is Moses' creator. He is the one who spoke forth the law to and through Moses. He is the subject of Moses' words. He is the object of Moses' affection. And he is the finisher of all that Moses began. In Christ Jesus, we find the embodiment of every type of picture, shadow, and word that issued forth in the giving of the law. Whereas Moses died east of Jordan because he could not lead his people to the promise, Christ Jesus rose again to do just that. Nothing is lacking in him, and all goodness and all blessing flow from him. The eternal God set his seal of approval on the Son, and it is he who has restored us to our heavenly Father. A prophet like Moses? Yes, but a prophet far above and beyond Moses. He is Jesus. I don't know how the Jews can miss this and how they can continue to do it to this day. I just don't see it. And my heart breaks over it. I was just broken all week practicing this sermon. But there are people even in our own world that have read the Bible and they get no light from it. I was watching Carl Sagan, the most arrogant man I've ever seen in my life. Somebody asked him about God, and his response was so pathetic. It was so disgusting. It was revolting. And he's such a smart man. And Corinthians says that God doesn't choose people like that. They're too smart to know God. He chooses weak people and small people and people that are neglected in the world. And they find their hope and their comfort in him. And they're going to reign with the Lord forever standing on the graves or standing above the people that have been cast into hell. It's so sad. But it's our job to get the word out to these people too. Just because they're arrogant, as long as they have breath in their lungs, we need to continue to tell people about the Lord. And the soundness 
of the scripture itself. When we go through these week after week after week, how can we not see the beauty of what God has given us, the perfection of this word? It's simply marvelous to read. And if people would just study it, they would find their God. They would find him. But people just don't have time for that in this world. You know, I saw some, I'm probably not going to put this in a prophecy update, but I saw a guy in Korea invented a third eye that goes on your head so you can walk and use your iPad while you're walking and not bump into people or fall off a cliff because it shines on your iPad or your, your phone and so it'll show you where you're walking. We have become way too engaged in this world to the point where we don't even think of the things of God. Everything is pulling at us all the time and it's heartbreaking. But the gospel is given and it is so simple. Christ died for your sins. Christ was buried. Christ rose again. And all God asks you to do is simply believe that. If you believe in the name of the Lord, you will be saved. And then after that, get into this word, this precious gift of God, and look at the things like we saw today. The marvelous structure of it. The self-validating proofs within Scripture to show that Cambridge are a bunch of idiots. They keep doing these things. I feel bad for Kyle because he's a great scholar, but he really got this one wrong. All you have to do is go into scripture and it says it. How many times? Five, six, seven times? Are you the prophet? Are you the prophet? This prophet that Moses spoke of. It's evident that he is the fulfillment of these things and no person will ever come that can fulfill what Christ has done. Either he is the Messiah or we are all condemned. This entire world is just going to be chucked into hell. That's the way it is. He is the Messiah and he has come for us. Please get this message out. Lots of tracks. Grab some and hand them out this week. I'm just so passionate about this because the word is given and it's true. Our closing verse comes from Hebrews 12. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and the blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore for they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. That's where we've come to the presence of the Lord Jesus through the simple gospel message. Please receive it today. Next week is Deuteronomy 19, one through 13. Which way should we go? What do you say? It's entitled, you shall prepare to you the way. That'll be our 57th Deuteronomy sermon. Yes, that's a literal translation. You're not going to find that in your Bible. You shall prepare to you the way. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has good plan and a purpose for you. But he also has expectations of you as he prepares you for entrance into the land of promise. And so follow him and trust him and he will do marvelous things for you and through you. Okay? And you can't follow him unless you know this. There's always somebody that's going to pull you away from this. That's the false prophet that he spoke about. It's the false teacher. It's the false preacher. The people that just make things up out of their own head. Stick to this like glue. Follow it all the days of your life. Even if you get sick of me and you go to another church, make sure that they open this. This is what matters. Everything else is hogwash. It's the word of God that matters and that will keep you safe as you walk through this life of yours. Okay. I promised you that I would um, give you a question today. And I'm so glad we read that psalm. I'm going to read this to you right here. For our prize today, my friend Bob, this guy, every time somebody is sick, he listens to everything we do. He's online. Hi, Bob. We love you, buddy. Every time I mention somebody that's got a problem, somebody's got a bad foot or somebody's got a headache or somebody's he always sends me a remedy and so send this on to that person 99.7236 percent of the time he recommends magnesium okay this is magnesium spray and if you want if you get i'm not a doctor i'm not prescribing this please do not take it that way go online read about it and then do your own research and see what they direct and then if you want i tried it last night on my feet Thank you, Bob. It felt great. Okay. Magnesium oil. If you get this question, 
You're going to have to really go back in your brains for this one. I'm sorry about this, but it came to me late in the game. Today we read the 42nd Psalm. It said to the chief musician, a contemplation of the sons of Korah. The name I will give you in Hebrew is Korach. Okay. He was mentioned, Korah, the sons of Korah, he was mentioned back in the book of Numbers. Remember, he and his family got swallowed by the earth when they disobeyed Moses. What does Korah mean? I mean, I can't believe somebody's not getting this. Come on. It, it, is, it, it is so obvious that you're going to kick yourself. I'm going to give you a hint. No, not Koran. I'm going to give you a hint. If you can't get this, you got to yell it out quick, because if you get this hint, there's going to be 20 people to get it at once. So I want to hear the first person that said, I'm going to give you a hint right now. Bald. Oh, Ray got it. Ray got it. There you go. It's old Baldy. Cora the Baldy. Okay. Okay, here we go. We got a poem and we'll be done. I was going to use a couple of you guys out here for that, but I thought that would be too mean. So, although some of them are shinier than mine, I will admit. Okay, a prophet like Moses. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, so he shall appear. From your brethren, him you shall hear. According to all you desired of the Lord your God, in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire any more, lest I die, as you were relaying. And the Lord said to me, and so I understood, what they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you. From among their brethren he will arise and stand, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I him command." And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. So to you I vow, so to you I exclaim. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. His future looks grim and bleak. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, such will be the token. That is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. You are to ignore him. So shall it be. Lord God, turn our hearts to be obedient to your word. Give us wisdom to be ever faithful to you. May we carefully heed each thing we have heard. Yes, Lord God, may our hearts be faithful and true. And we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful self-validating word that you have given us. Thank you for the promises that it holds. And we know that they're sure and we know that they're true. We're very thankful to you for that. And so we just come to you praising you for this precious word and we love you. We look forward to another adventure in it tonight when we read it before we go to bed and again tomorrow when we wake up in the morning and throughout the week as we ponder its wonders, help us to reflect on it and to think on it, to weave together the things that you have shown us in this word. Thank you, Lord God, for it. And we praise you and we exalt you. In Jesus' name, amen.